Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. ACF Church. Hey, we're so glad that you're here with us today. I love that last scene. Who needs more of that in your life? Like just a little bit more sitting by the river, a little peace amidst the craziness of the fall. So uh, if you're new with us here today, we just want to say thanks for being with us. Um, we're just honored that you would spend this Sunday morning uh, with us. And, and it's an exciting season as a church, exciting things going on. Um, before I get into that too, I want to welcome everybody who's with us on Facebook Live. Let's thank them for being with us as well. We're glad that you're part of our family from a distance. Um, we, man, you guys, listen, I'm so proud of you. Last week was awesome. We were able to mobilize over 500 people to go serve our city. Can we just thank God for that? That was amazing. We really upped the game. The previous year, I think we had 350 people, and we threw out the goal of 500, and you guys just crushed it. And I love the conversations that are just happening around water coolers this week, in coffee shops, and in schools, about what the church did last weekend. And for me, that's really exciting, and that's really what we're praying for, is that God would multiply our efforts. And, and there's something about this conversation that's happening where people, they, they see the church giving and serving without any strings attached. Attached. And there's something in the heart of, I think, even somebody who isn't a Christian that just says, that, that's right. There's something right about that. There's something in my soul that comes alive when I think of just giving a, a free gift and serving people. And, and so I want you to know that ACF Church, you looked a lot like Jesus last weekend. You looked a lot like the real Jesus to our community. And, and people may not have been able to put their finger on it. They might not have known what to think about, you know, you, you taking care of them and serving them the way that you did. But they encountered the good news of the gospel. And I just want you to know that, like, it's really good news. And I feel like our city experienced that. Keep praying. Keep having conversations. Keep uh, leveraging that opportunity for God to move in your relationships and in your circles. And so we are uh, starting a new series of conversations today called Airplane Mode. And, and this is a talk about technology. And, and it's a really, I think, timely and important conversation. Honestly, I need this as much as anybody. And so this is going to be like public therapy as I share how I'm 
I'm struggling in this area, and hopefully there's at least a couple of you that can relate. But I would say that in so many ways, our lives can feel a little out of control this time of year. And not just this time of year, but because of how our culture is set up and how technology is progressing, it can feel like we are always consuming, right? And I would say a great way of describing my life right now is always consuming and never satisfied. Anybody relate to that? Like you're just always drawing things in, always consuming things and never really satisfied. And so over the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four different platforms and ways that we consume technology. And we're going to let God show us some things about ourselves in that. In fact, here's kind of a vision statement for this series. In this series, our hope is to learn how to use technology instead of being used by technology. Amen to that, right? As we take a deeper look at our digital appetites, we will begin to understand the God-given longings placed inside of every human being on earth. I really think as we start to identify how we are consuming so much technology that we're going to get an idea of how our hearts are actually created. And we're going to see some things about humanity that maybe we didn't see before. And so again, I love technology. This is not an anti-tech series, and so you can hold on to your phone. You can pull it out. It's fine. This isn't like, hey, get rid of all technology. This is just, I think maybe there's a feeling amongst people in our society right now that as we progress, we are also losing something. Have you ever felt that? Like as I kind of consume more and take steps forward as the, the, the technology grows, I'm actually losing something in my life. There's a conviction of this. And at the same time, I consume a lot. I have a lot of different devices in my life. Um, I have an iPad. I have an iPhone. I have a computer, a TV, a Roku, a Wii. I have technology. And I have platforms. I have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Netflix. Some of you are judging me already. Netflix, Hulu, YouTube account, email accounts, iMessage. And I have habits that are tied to all of these things. Like um, if I don't have time for a conversation or I don't want to deal with the awkwardness of actually having a real conversation, what do I do? I text you. I just text you about something. And even with social media, I find that I'll put something out on social media and for the rest of the day, I'll be on it more, right? I'll wonder like who's responded and how many likes did I get and do people like what I put out there? And so technology is affecting my life. I'll even have, I don't know if anybody else gets, gets this, I will get phantom rings in my pocket where I think my phone is buzzing when it's not. So I don't know what's going on, but this is affecting my mind and my nervous system in some ways that I don't understand. And it's interesting, the word devices, I noticed this week that you can't say devices without saying the word vices, right? And for so many of us, devices have become our vices. They've become an addiction, in fact, here's some statistics. The average person touches, swipes, or clicks their phone 2,617 times a day. That's a lot of swiping, right? That's a lot of clicking. And technology has really progressed at an exponential rate over the past 10 years. I mean, it's not just growing, it's an exponential growth. And there was a recent survey done about how much time we spend on our phones. And, and in 2007, the survey was taken, and the average person spent 18 minutes on their phones. And in 2017, 10 years later, the average person spends four hours a day on their phone. So a lot of you raised your phone when you were asked, like, do you have a phone addiction? Clearly, I'm thinking four hours a day, the math doesn't even work. I mean, how many hours a day am I not working, sleeping, or eating? So I am multitasking at some point, right? 
You know, and so I get it. You're like, you're eating, you're on your phone. Some of you are like, you need to stop this, but you're on the toilet and you're on your phone, right? You've, you've lost a couple phones that way. Somebody here needs to admit that, right? Just bloop, there it goes, right? The new ones are waterproof, no problem. But we have this tech addiction. And, and I, was, I was reading this book recently about it and he was talking about uh, Steve Jobs and, and how he brought out the new iPad when the iPad was like the newest thing. And he's promoting it as the biggest new thing for um, technology in the world and how amazing this new thing was. But when he spoke about it later, what he said is he would never let his kids touch one. And so when the creator of a certain type of technology isn't smoking what he's selling, shouldn't we be a little skeptical, right? Shouldn't we at some point go, then I don't want my kids to, or maybe, maybe there's something else going on here that we're losing as we sort of just receive whatever it is that's handed to us. The way of technology is faster, cheaper, and easier. Easier. That is the way, that is the movement of technology, faster and cheaper and easier. They will not come out with a new iPhone that is slower than the old one, right? And it'll probably be, I used to think smaller, now it's getting bigger, right? The iPhones, they went from big to small to big. And so faster and cheaper, normally technology is, although, you know, new technology is expensive, it's really less costly than it used to be. You can get a, an amazing computer for like 300 bucks at Best Buy that would beat out any supercomputer just 10, 15 years ago. And so things are progressing, and I don't even think we realize how it's affecting us. Like the, 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 the jury's still out, and there hasn't been enough time that we've had these things in our lives to really understand what is being taken from us. But I think our children will actually have better perspective on this than, than we do. But what we do know is that technology is changing the way our minds work. It's changing the way we think. Even the way that, that, that social media is set up with Facebook and Instagram and the likes is meant to release this, these different endorphins in your brain to get you excited about getting more likes and more traffic on your page. And, and this is shaping our minds and the neural pathways in our brains. And I don't even think we get how it's affecting us. And, and you guys, listen, again, confession, this is me. Like just two days ago, I went on a date with my wife and it was everything we could do to not pick up our phones for an hour. And that's, a, that's gotta be a problem, right? I mean, we don't wanna use the word addiction, but I think that probably is an addiction at some point. And, and in fact, the other day, I, I'll just let you into my, my life. As I struggle with this, I actually had a journal entry that I'm gonna share with you. Can I do that? I'm gonna share a journal entry with you. And in fact, um, this is, uh, this is me from a few days ago. Could you, could you start some music? Just to, I want to bring everybody into the moment. Just in my life here real quick. This is me a few days ago. October 1st. I woke up on the couch again, dazed and confused by the happenings of the night before. As my eyes opened, I could see the remnants of my decisions laying all around me. And I thought, really? I did it again? I had passed out at who knows what time. Of course, I needed to get up and go to work, but my mind was still swirling. My body felt weak, and I still didn't know what had really happened. As soon as I stood up and took a survey of my living room, I glanced down at the leather-bound footrest, and the reality of my decisions became evident and crystal clear. And as shame and despair filled my mind, I realized what had happened. You guessed it, another Netflix bender. What episode of This Is Us had I left off on? How many reruns of The Office had I consumed? How much data had I used and how would I pay for the overages? The screen of my TV had gone black with one simple question, white and glowing across the screen. 
Are you still watching? That sounds like a challenge, Netflix. Of course I am. How dare you question the fortitude of my digital consumption? Game on, Netflix. Game on. All right, there we go. That's good. That's good. Anybody been there? Anybody want to be honest? All night Netflix bender. We're going to talk about Netflix. Binging on Netflix. And we all are guilty. So TV, TV's come a long ways. And for me, as a kid growing up, I had a bunch of shows that I didn't want to miss for the world. And, and so a, a few of you would remember this show that was a really big deal. What's this called? Hogan's Heroes. Some of you are dating yourselves, right? That's good. That's good. So Hogan's Heroes. For me, this show was the big deal. What is this show? Home Improvement, that's right, tool time, right? Uh, It was like a movement in our culture. I remember just like rearranging my day, making sure I got my homework done so that I could watch me some Home Improvement. Some of you grew up watching this show. What is it? I love it. A 30-year-old man, Boy Meets World. (laughs) My daughter told me. I I didn't really know. She told me. Boy Meets World, yeah, you watched it. It's okay. So um, we all maybe grew up with with a show that we watched. It was interesting that it was sort of like if you missed it, you missed it, right? If school, you know, ran late, you had to do some more work, you had to do some chores. If you missed your show, you sort of missed it. Or, you know, maybe you got the VHS player and you tried to program it, which you needed like, you know, a doctorate to be able to figure out how to program the, 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 the VHS player to record something. And, and most of us didn't do it. And, and so it was a different way of dealing with our, our, our consumption of TV, right? Because you could always shut it off and most of the time maybe you watched an episode and, and then you moved on because you couldn't just kind of binge But now we have shows that we call binge-worthy shows, right? Which is the kind of show that you just can't shut off. And and, and I hate it, right? Because they they design these shows and they leave you on a cliffhanger. And so you're just there for like a day. Before you know it, you're like, I got to go to work this morning. You know, at some point I got to shut this thing off. But it begs a few different important questions. And the, the first question, and you've had this in your mind before, is how much is enough, Right? It's an important question to ask. How much is enough? But I would say the deeper soul question is this. How can I be satisfied? And this is really why I want to spend our time today is that you were created to be satisfied. I don't know if you knew this. Like we all pursue satisfaction and whether you love God or you don't love God, you want to be satisfied. In fact, Jesus wants us to be satisfied as well. And he tells us how. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 6, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, righteousness is a very churchy word. Um, it might, might be kind of a, a word that you've thrown around a lot, and you think, man, do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? But if I were to describe righteousness in, in basic terms, it would be simply to pursue what God says is true of you. What God says is most true about you is righteousness, holiness. It's to believe God at his word and to say what God wants for me is actually the best thing. So Jesus says, you want to be blessed? Do you want to experience satisfaction in your life? Then you need to pursue righteousness. Pursue what God says is best. But here's the reality. In Proverbs 13, 25, it says, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. So you see the contrast here that you can actually be satisfied. You can have enough 
in any and all situations, whether you're like, I got a lot of money or I got a little bit of money. You know, I, I've got the relationship I've been hoping for or I'm still dreaming of the relationship that I was hoping for. In all situations, in all stages of life that you can have a, a satisfied appetite. But apparently the wicked, those who do not pursue righteousness, those who do not believe what God says to be truest about you will not be satisfied. They will suffer in want. And the first thing I want you to write down today is simply this. We crave what we think will satisfy us. So just take a survey of your life and maybe a, uh, just think back to when you woke up in the middle of the night a few, few weeks ago, a few nights ago, maybe, maybe last night. I want you to think about the things that were swirling in your mind, the things that you crave. What, what's the first thing you talk about with your friends when you get together with them? What just easily comes out of your mouth? And in so many ways, these are the things that we crave, that we talk about. These are the things that's, that we think will satisfy us. And yet most of us, if we were honest in the room today, would be, would be honest to say that we don't live lives of satisfaction. That we're on a treadmill, constantly pursuing, constantly running after a sense of satisfaction. And so wherever you're at today, um, whether you are a Jesus follower or uh, maybe you're brand new to the church, I just want you to reserve judgment for just a moment. And to consider that you could actually stop chasing and actually experience satisfaction in your life. That satisfaction is something that was meant to be held onto and experienced in a way that we don't tend to experience it today. And and I'll tell you this, that even if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you experience a certain sense of satisfaction. And we've all been there where, um, you know, you, you make a great dinner at home. And it comes out great, and you just enjoy like a great steak. And I mean, praise God that he gave us steak and taste buds to enjoy it. But, but even if you don't believe in God, you can, you can enjoy a great steak, right? You can enjoy a great glass of wine, a, a beautiful sunset, a great hunt with some friends. God gave us all these things as gifts. Food, uh, uh, just the, the, the view that we have. Sex is a gift from God. So you can actually have a certain sense of satisfaction in all of these things, but you will get up the next day needing it again, right? And you, you've all been there where you're like, okay, that felt great when I did it, but yet tomorrow I'm back on the treadmill, back pursuing satisfaction. It's almost as if satisfaction is leaking out constantly. And so we're pouring back in these, these enjoyable experiences Pouring back in like it's got to be another date night out. It's got to be another, uh, just another trip, another uh, trip down the ski hill. Whatever it is that you love to do so that you can feel satisfaction, if only for a moment. But I want to tell you that Jesus wants us not to simply feel satisfaction, but to be satisfied. And I think that this is the point. When you are satisfied, all of these joys will come to life in ways that they didn't before. I mean, I honestly believe that when you love Jesus and he is your satisfaction, that your meals get better. I believe that your relationships get better. I even believe sex gets better. I believe that everything gets better when God is your satisfaction because you're not asking these pleasures of life to fulfill you. I mean, married people in the room, nod your heads if you agree. That person cannot fulfill you, right? Single people, that person will not fulfill you. They will fail you. And, and, and that meal at some point will be digested and you'll be hungry again, right? And whatever that, that next uh, job dream is, that next promotion is, like you're gonna get it and it will not fulfill you. It will only reveal another mountain to climb. 
And so at some point, we have to stop and go, man, why isn't it ever enough? Why isn't it? I mean, you're thinking, man, if I can just get enough money in the bank account, I'll be satisfied. I want to assure you that you will not be satisfied. It will not give you the joy that you hope. There's a a pastor and a writer, his name's John Piper, and he wrote this book, I think back in the 80s, and, and made this famous statement. He says this, he says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And I, I think that's really true, but I would even add to it and say this, that we are most satisfied when God is most glorified in us. And if you want to be most satisfied in life, that you will begin to understand the giver of the gifts. And, and God's people have always been prone to worship the, the gift rather than the giver. It's always been a temptation of any person to worship the gift rather than the giver and to miss out on so much that God might have for us, even in the enjoyment of the gift. And so I want to give you a couple different dangers in approaching our different cravings in life. Whatever it is that you might binge after or want to experience in life, there's a couple major dangers. dangers. The the first is this, self-denial, and the second is self-indulgence. And I would describe self-denial for this conversation as rejecting God's gifts and self-indulgence as abusing God's gifts. And so first, self-denial. Um, I, I think many of you in the room might kind of go, well, isn't that what Christianity is all about? Isn't Christianity really just about denying yourself the pleasures of life? Doesn't it make you holier if you do that? Like, and I'll tell you, growing up in a very traditional church, that tended to be how I felt. Like, hey, don't have too much fun or you're definitely not following Jesus, right? Like, we got like bacon and a donut wall in the lobby. And some of you are going like, tell me what the verse is that aligns with, like, give me the theological implications. It's donuts and bacon, praise God. Praise God, I don't know. Like, I don't care if it tastes good. Give God glory for donuts and bacon. I mean, really, like, that's as deep as it goes, folks. That's it. I mean, we, there, there should be joy in pursuing righteousness. There should be joy in pursuing Jesus. Self-denial is a good thing in certain contexts. We, maybe you have this verse in your mind. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So certainly within the, the journey of a Christ follower is a, is a routine of self-denial. Last week, we denied our normal gathering of church, and we went out into our city and served in the name of Jesus. You gave up your morning. You denied something to go and love people. Jesus even made himself nothing, Philippians says, and, and, and took himself the, the, the cross and gave up all that he had to to suffer for us. And so Jesus is the epitome of of self-denial, and yet at the same time, we are to enjoy the gifts of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. What are these teachings? They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So you got two sides of the spectrum here. Surely like Christianity and following Jesus and becoming like him and pursuing righteousness is to give up certain things for the sake of loving God and loving others. Absolutely. But you do so because you believe, as we said earlier, what God says to be truest about you. 
And when you believe that, you willingly give up these things in your life. The value of them changes because what is most valuable to you is righteousness, is what God says is most true about you. You've seen that, that he comes through. And in the end, through that sacrifice, you experience a deeper sense of joy. And yet at the same time, too many people have been taught that following Jesus means that you've got to give up anything enjoyable in life. And I just think that's a lie from the pit of hell. Like you need to love, you need to model for our city what it means to be human, what it means to love God and love people and to experience all the blessings that God has given you, whether it be much or little, that you can have joy in that. And so that is something we must do is, is be careful rejecting God's gifts in self-denial. Uh, God's people have always been told to enjoy what, what God gives them, especially with food, which I'm a, I'm a big foodie. I love the Food Network. Um, I love eating good food. In Numbers chapter 29, verse 12, here's what God's people are commanded to do. It says, On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. Now, I was reading this this week, and I was just thinking, like, to, to put this into context, imagine you go to work next week and a friend of yours, who, who a co-worker, is gone, right? They're gone all week long. Nobody knows where they're at. I don't know what's going on. They show up a week later at work, and you're like, dude, what happened to you? They're like, oh, I, I skipped work for a week. You're like, well, what were you doing? Eating. <laughs> like, of course you ate. And he's like, no, no, no. I, like, ate for seven days straight. All I did is Thanksgiving all day, every day for seven days. You'd be like, dude, you have a problem, right? You have an issue. You need some counseling. You need some dietary help. You have diabetes now. Like you're falling apart. This is not good for you. And yet God's people were commanded to honor God by enjoying good food together. This is actually something that we are to do. It's in the rhythm of the life of a follower of Jesus is to enjoy great food and to do it together. I mean, at a baseline, that's what communion is all about. And sure, we got crackers and juice up here every week, and that's just like, you know, a taste of what I think communion really should be in an experience. But really, that God's people were meant to gather around meals together. And as they did, they were meant to tell stories of God's faithfulness in their lives and to encourage each other to believe that what God says about them is truest about them. And, and so this is a, a key part of our lives. So the second danger is self-indulgence. This would be abusing God's gifts. Proverbs 28 or 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now this is a problem just as much. And we've all been there. You're like, well, first thing I think of is when, you know, it's like I can't manage my appetite. I can't manage the food that I eat. I'm just eating whatever is passed on to me. Uh, for some of you, it is. It's, it's social media or it's Netflix or something else that you binge on that, again, keep your Netflix account if it's, if it's okay for you, if you can manage it. But some of you need to get rid of it, honestly. Some of you are nursing an appetite that is stealing the life that you've always wanted from you. And at some point, we have to go, man, the gift has turned into an idol. The gift is actually robbing something from me. It's not erupting in praise of God out of my life because I'm abusing it. So whatever it is that you keep running back to to satisfy you, I wonder for you, has it ever truly satisfied? Do we continue nursing appetites that are destroying us? Because I believe that we have to draw a balance. We need to learn to navigate the digital age that we live in 
and, and leverage opportunities like we continue to stream our services online because we love that the people are maybe on the northern slope or deployed and you're with us online. And we love that that's a, that's a technological advancement that the church gets to utilize. So we need to, need to leverage opportunities for the kingdom while drawing boundaries on the power that we give technology in our lives. And that is the challenge to you. That we understand what it is and what it's not. Like being uh, at a distance on Facebook Live, I love that that's an option, but what you miss, miss out on is all these great people. Like everybody wave at the camera back there. Everybody put your hands up. These people are awesome. And you're missing them. If you're just gonna week after week, even when you could come to church, you're just like, I love brewing coffee and sitting in my living room. That's fun sometimes, I get it. But you miss out on this gathering, this community that we were never meant to follow Jesus alone. That you need a community, and the community actually, we need you. And so we need to leverage opportunities for the kingdom while drawing boundaries on the power that we give those things. And this is a hard and difficult road. This is not easy. It's, it's easier just to receive whatever ever is passed on to us. I want to share with you a verse that's going to be a bit of a theme, I think, for the next year of ministry as a church. This is Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 13. Here are Jesus' words about following him. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so write this down today. The way of technology is faster, cheaper, and easier. But the way of Jesus is slow, costly, and difficult. How's that for a sales pitch? Come back to church. It's going to be slow. It's going to cost you a lot to follow Jesus. And it's going to be hard but it is the way to life. Apparently, the gate to life is slow and costly and difficult. And that you're going to have to do the hard work of of auditing everything that comes into your world and deciding whether or not this is contributing or taking away from life in your family and in your home, in your marriage, in your relationships, wherever that may be. After first service this morning, a, a lady came up to me and she said, uh, I haven't been a Christian for very long. I'm, I'm kind of new on this journey. And she said, maybe like 10 years ago, back in the day, I, I saw this quote and I thought it was really cool. So I got it tattooed on my body and it was this picture of this, this narrow gate and this picture of this wide gate. And, and the narrow gate was really destructive at the beginning, but it led to this beautiful place and it was, it was just gorgeous. And then there was this really wide, beautiful, gorgeous gate that led to, to death and destruction. And she said, I got this tattooed on my body because I was like, this was a super cool quote. I didn't know who said it. And then she became a Christian and realized, that's in the Bible. She had no idea that it was a, it was a verse in the Bible. And she had, she's had it tattooed on her body for years. I love how God goes before us. I love how God prepares us sometimes. I just thought that was a really cool story that, that God is doing a work in preparing us to understand these difficult truths, that the way of Jesus is slow and costly and difficult, but it is the way that leads to life. And so yank the IV drip of technology out of your arm for just a minute and just ask yourself, is this actually making me better? Is it actually making me more like Jesus? There's a famous story that uh, is in the Gospels where Jesus encounters a woman who she is needing life and she is needing something different and she has taken uh, society's pressures and her own desires and she's run with a lifestyle that's created a lot of wreckage and a lot of damage in her own life. And this is Jesus' encounter with her. This is the woman at the well, John chapter four, verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So here's this woman. She's just there to quench her thirst. And that's, that's some of you. You go through life just simply trying to treat the symptoms of your depression, of your lack of, of self-control, of, of, your, of your addiction, whatever it may be. You're treating the symptoms and you're simply looking for momentary times of, of, of reprieve from those things. And Jesus is like, you know, I have something better for you. Like you want to quench your thirst, but your soul is thirsty. Your soul needs satisfaction. And so I don't want to give you a drink. I want to give you a well. You know, Jesus is a well. He's not just a drink of water. Like when you experience Jesus, he is an unlimited flow of life that is placed inside of your soul. And so when you know Christ, it changes everything else that you experience. And I'll tell you that the best way to change your craving is to long for something that will satisfy. It's for you to, to, to zoom out from your experiences and from all of your habits and go, I really am looking for something. And some of you are like, Brian, you're taking my Netflix binging way too far. But, but I, I do think it identifies a yearning within us to just be satisfied. Having done nothing special, maybe you don't have the money to do some of the things you want to do. Maybe some dreams are years in the making. But right now, right where you sit, that you could be fully satisfied. And there's this man who wrote the Psalms. His name's David. And David is a man who has had a lot and experienced how those things have never really uh, fulfilled him. And yet as he experienced the truth of God, it has shaped his life. And now his cravings are different. And this is Psalm chapter 63, verse 1. It says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David isn't telling you what to do. He's just telling you that this is the life of someone who has tasted and seen the satisfaction that comes through Christ alone. And as David understood God and all of his love for him, it shaped his cravings. And you sense in his writings that this man is after something that will satisfy, after something that will never be robbed from him. And so as David wakes up in the middle of the night, I'm sure he has battles. And I'm sure he had fears and things that he dealt with. And yet I, what you sense is that he redirected his thoughts towards, towards the, the God who created him, the giver of all gifts, and the one who sustains him and supplies his every need. Here's the last thing I want you to consider, is that when you're satisfied in Christ, you'll be satisfied in life. And that really is the key to you being okay with where you are. Continue to dream. Continue to push forward. If you have a dream of starting a business, go after it. If you want to get a promotion at work, go after it. If you want to grow as a person and, and rid yourself of certain habits and things that you're struggling with, like go after it. Work hard, but know that Christ is enough right now. And this is the damaging story of religion. 
is religion says it's never enough. And yet Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection always says it's finished. And that's what we embrace and what we know as followers of Jesus today is that it is finished. We can be satisfied and whole today apart from any accomplishment, any other person. And that frees us up to love them well and to enjoy our lives well. And so here's what I want to do is I want to challenge you to take a couple steps. We always want to give you a way to kind of move forward. The first thing is this. I want to encourage you, if if you are a once a month churchgoer, that you would commit to being here for all four weeks. That you would make that a commitment that, hey, if I'm going to pursue what God says is truest about me, I need to surround myself with people who are also after the same thing. So that you would once a week get together with other people and that you would learn and grow and let this stuff work on your heart throughout the week. So if you're kind of a once in a while person, I just want to give it, give it time. Give it time. And the next thing, I want you to grab that little sheet of paper that's on the seat. Uh, Pull that out. Maybe you're sitting on it or you put it underneath your seat. Uh, What we're going to do as a church is we're going to fast together. And I'm so excited about this. Uh, Some of you, when you heard that word, you immediately disqualified yourself because you just, you're like, that's not for me, Ryan. I love my breakfast. I love my Fruity Pebbles in the morning. I am not going to give that up. I get that. I get that temptation. Listen, what is on this sheet? is a schedule that we're going to do together as a church. I'm I'm not telling you what to do. I'm inviting you into this to just try this discipline out. Jesus fasted and prayed, okay? If Jesus needed to fast and pray so that he could be in a connection with the Father, how much more do you and I need to? If you actually want to take some steps forward in your life, there is a schedule on there that you, you can do this. You can absolutely do what's on that paper. It's not just giving up food for the week. It's different things throughout the week. And here's what's going to happen is is you're going to start to crave after things that you used to have in your life. And when you crave after those things, I want you to redirect those cravings towards something that will satisfy. So when you crave, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for our church as we come into the fall that that we would continue to grow uh, together as, as followers of Jesus that we would be people who go from these rows into circles and small groups, that we'd be people who grow in generosity towards our city, that we would make time for the lost, for people who don't believe in Jesus. We'd make relationships outside of the church. I want you to pray for our church. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Whoever God puts in your mind in that moment, and I, I believe he will if you ask him to, pray for them when you crave after something. The next thing I want you to do is, and I want you to do this right now if you would. We keep having you pull out your phone, but do it one more time if you would. I want you to text DEVO, D-E-V-O, to 40650. And what that's going to do is that's going to sign you up for our devotional text. And starting on Monday morning, you're going to get encouraging texts throughout the week to remind you what this is all about, to keep us focused together on one goal unified. And so just text that number in, uh, Devo to 40650, and you can get those updates all week long. You guys, I'm so stoked. I'm excited as we do this together about the potential in it being a a praying church, a fasting church, a a church full of people who's like, I'm going to give God more than just an hour on Sunday morning. I actually want to give him my life. And it starts off with just a slow drip. I know we don't always start off by just saying, God, you can have everything. But this week, maybe for you, it's a big step just to give him your Netflix attention or to give him your food attention at one meal, to give something up during the day. And at the end of this week, um, I love that is scheduled in there for us to, to eat together. So grab some friends, have a meal together, 
talk about how it just, you know, was terrible at first. And, you know, maybe then you kind of got into a rhythm. Talk about how God spoke to you and grow in Christ together. So let me pray for us as a church. God, thank you so much that we aren't alone in this. God, we're, we're grateful for the, the place and time that you, you put us. God, we didn't choose to be alive in 2018. You just put us here. And so with this place and time comes all kinds of opportunities for the kingdom and challenges to just be the human beings that you called us to be, to experience life in the full. And so, God, we believe that that is your best for us, and yet uh, we want to acknowledge that we don't always believe you. And we might say that we do, but we don't always believe that what you say is true about us is actually truest about us. So, Father, as, as... as you commanded to us, God, that we would pursue righteousness. And that as we pursue what you say is true, that we would experience satisfaction, the kind of satisfaction that doesn't leak out, that we don't have to chase after for the rest of our lives. Make us people who are truly satisfied in you. God, we believe that the world needs to see a bunch of followers of Jesus who love life, love their father even more. So God, make us those people. Help us to worship in the next few moments, to to place you in authority in our lives, to pursue you first and holy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys, thanks.